Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's December the 8th, 2021. Hope you're all well. I'm very well. I'm broadcasting, as always, from the great city of San Francisco on the west coast of the United States. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I thought we had a memorable show with a very, very talented young writer, a young man called Jordan uh, Salama, um, uh, whose first book is about journeying up Colombia's largest river, the Magdalena River that goes north-south, um, actually it's south-north, at least according to Jordan, uh, across Colombia. Uh, wonderful book. It's called uh, Every Day, uh, The River Changes. Um, and one of the places he stops in the book is a place called Aracataca, which uh, for those uh, literary-minded amongst you, and I know LitHub has some very literary-minded uh, folk, uh, was the birthplace of the greatest of all, or perhaps one of the greatest of all Latin American writers, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Uh, Arataka is represented uh, in his wonderful book, 100 Years of Solitude, um, fictionalized as Macondo in, in that magnificent book, 100 Years of Solitude. And at the end uh, of my conversation with Jordan, as I always do, I said, well, could you recommend a couple of other books and writers that you've been reading that have inspired you? And Jordan immediately suggested uh, another book about another great Latin American writer, uh, Borges. Uh, the book is by Jay Perini. The book is uh, also... Uh, a kind of memoir, but very different from uh, Jordan's book, Every Day the River Changes. Uh, and I'm thrilled that Jay Perini is joining me from his office uh, in Middlebury College in Vermont. Jay, thank you so much. Andrew, it's great fun to be here with you. Thanks for asking me. Uh, Jay, I know you know Jordan, uh, and I know you've had a look at his book, Every Day the River Changes. Yes. Um, it's a book about a trip he took as a young man. Your book also, Borges and Me, is a book about a trip you made as a young man. Tell me about the book. Well, Jordan's wonderful, wonderful book is pretty much reportage in the sense that he was he writes about an actual trip and really more or less publishes the book, you know, shortly thereafter. Um, my trip with Borges was 50 years ago. So something that's so... You don't even look 50 now, Jay. I don't look 50. I know I don't. But uh, believe me, I'm, I'm almost 74 and um, time passes. And so um, this, this, this journey took place a long time ago. L I'll tell you how it came out. Shall I tell you how it came about? Of course. Yes, please. <clears throat> I was, um, you know, I do a, a lot of things, including screenplays, no mostly novels and poetry. And uh, biographies. I wrote a biography of the American novelist Gore Vidal, who was an old friend. And about four years ago, I was on the set of a film, uh, which I wrote the script, I co-wrote the script of a film about Gore Vidal, which we shot in in Southern Italy. And uh, Kevin Spacey plays Gore Vidal. And the film hasn't been released yet for obvious reasons, but I hope one day it will. And um, I was sitting on the set um, <clears throat> between takes 
having lunch with the producer, Andy Patterson, and, uh, the, and, and a film director called Ross Clark, who was visiting from London, and a couple of other actors, a couple of actors. And um, Ross pulled out of his briefcase the, the stories of Borges called Labyrinths. And, he, and I said, do you like Borges? And he said, do I like Borges? Borges is the only writer I read. I read him over and over and over again. He's my kind of my touchdown for my life. And I said, oh, my God. I said, um, well, you know, I met him. He said, what? You met Borges? Yeah. I said, I was a postgraduate student at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland for seven years. I was on the run hiding out from the U.S. draft, which was trying to send me to Vietnam. And um, my mentor was uh, Alastair Reed, who was a poet and translator of um, Latin American writers. He translated the poems of Neruda and the stories and poems of Borges. And one day he said to me, Jay, um, Borges is coming to Scotland to work with me. And I said, um, I said, who's Borges? He said, oh, he's a, a, an Argentine writer. And so uh, one day I get a call from Alistair. He said, Borges is in town. I said, great, come over for dinner. I went over, met this strange, very frail, brindle, totally blind, old man. Here we My, have, for people watching, Jay, here we have an image of Borges in 1971. Right. Uh, we, we, we joked earlier that one can never imagine Borges ever being young. He probably came out of his mother's womb somehow looking old. He did. I thought he was about 91 instead of 71. He seemed very fragile, shaking hands, uh, trembling hands, and with walking with a cane, had a stick, and, uh, you know, blind and spoke in a very frail voice in some ways, but frail on the one hand and very booming on the other hand, very weird voice and um, <clears throat> very talkative. And so um, I had an amazing evening with Borges. Alistair made hash brownies, um, which he often did. And we all imbibed and ate these hash brownies and, and, and drank a lot of wine. And I remember uh, Borges leaping out of Alistair's house and running across, the, Alistair lived right out on the sea, outside of St. Andrews, about two miles, and um, right on the beach, and on the old course where golf was founded, and Borges ran across the, um, the golf course, and with Alistair and I following, and a couple of others, uh, my friend Jeff, and I said, my God, he's going to kill himself, he's blind, and Alistair said, no, Borges can fly, don't worry about it, and Borges got to the edge of the sea, and then he turned his back somehow and wound up on the green of the one of the holes of the old course. And he held up his cane and began reciting The Seafarer, a poem in Anglo-Saxon. He said, I've always dreamed of reciting The Seafarer to the North Sea itself. Of course, he's reciting into a golf course. And um, we thought this was hilarious and so forth. And so we got, finally got Borges back home to Alistair's cottage called Pilmore Cottage. And uh, where Alistair lived with his eight-year-old son, the two of them, and um, uh, and Alistair said, "Listen, I wonder if you would be my driver um, while Borges is here for the week." I said, "Sure," because Alistair didn't drive; have a car. And I had just bought a 1957 Morris Minor. It was a rust bucket, and um, <clears throat> I agreed to drive Borges and Alistair around St. Andrews. And uh, let's talk a little bit, uh, Jay, about yourself. Um, yeah. You were avoiding the Vietnam War. Who were your literary heroes in 1970? In 1970, I'd say my heroes were people like Robert Frost, poets, Theodore Retke, 
and Robert Frost were my great heroes. Robert Lowell, I admired a great deal. And I, I worshiped the, uh, the, the, the writer from Orkney called George Mackay Brown. In fact, I was planning to write a PhD thesis on George Mackay Brown. Never, never happened. But that's what I was working on at that moment. So my heroes were poets. And so um, at what point in your life did you begin to appreciate Borges the writer? Well, almost immediately upon meeting him and driving him around, I realized this was one of the most extraordinary creatures I'd ever encountered. He had a way of talking that was somehow magical and whimsical, and he was full of anecdotes, and he said the most extraordinary things. You know, I, I was completely taken aback again and again. He said to me, the most important piece of writing in the world, Jay, he called me Giuseppe, um, always Giuseppe, is, um, the, is a, a thousand and one nights. Uh, the narrator is Scheherazade. And I said, Borges, um, I've never read a thousand and one nights. He said, oh, dear. He said, if you've never read a thousand and one nights, you're the, uh, the reading equivalent of a virgin. I said, oh, dear. And he said, um, read it. I said, by the way, Borges, who wrote a, a thousand and one nights? I don't even know. He said, who wrote it? He said, I wrote it. I said, you wrote it, Borges? He said, yeah, I wrote it. He said, uh, he said, I've wrote all, written all the classics, and it so annoys my contemporaries. So you see, he was full of the, he had, a, as Alistair said, a whim of iron, and uh, was like endless jokes like this. And I was, as a young man, really baffled and befuddled. And, uh, uh, we, uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, I also did a live interview with the science fiction writer Steve, uh, Neil Stevenson. And I went down to San Francisco, I went down downtown San Francisco, first time actually post-COVID to actually do an interview in person. And San Francisco, as I suggested in my conversation with, with Neil, kind of represented Stevenson's future of, of homelessness and high tech somehow combined. I, I wonder in your book and in your experience um, in meeting Borges, did the experience, was it Borgesian? Oh, yes, because Borges carried his world with him. And uh, he, he was his stories. And uh, he was, if nothing, nothing else, all of his stories. And he repeated himself, as many people afterwards have told me, again and again and again. He said the same things to everybody over and over again. I had a comical uh, letter from somebody in New York uh, an, um, a guy a little older than me who said, you know, about um, two months after you met Borges, I met him in New York State and went on a, took him on a little car trip myself. And I wrote down in my notebooks things he said, and he gave me the exact things Borges said that were the exact things he had said to me. He had very, he had, he just said the same thing over and over and over again. And he was living in his stories. He was living in his stories. And so his world was full of mirrors and doubles and libraries. So it was a labyrinthine uh, world yeah, that you entered. Right. Uh, uh, Edwin Williamson wrote a famous book, uh, which got reviewed in the New York Times by David Foster Wallace, and it was headlined, uh, Borges on the Couch. I guess you had Borges in the car, not on the couch. <laughs> I definitely had Borges in the car, and uh, um, and it was quite an experience. For example, I tell the story like the first night, one of the first times I drove him out, we together, the two of us, um, we stopped at a pub. He said, I want us to go to a sc typical Scottish pub. And I said, well, that's easy to accomplish in Scotland and found one. And we went in. I said, what will you have, Borges? He said, I'll have a pint of typical beer. 
So I brought him a pint of Scottish beer called Export. And he sat opposite me at this little wooden picnic table with sawdust on the floor, typical Scottish pub, and of the day. And he starts stirring it with his finger. And then he licks his finger. And I'm rather OCD, and I cringed. And uh, I thought, this is going to be a long day with Borges. And I said, so Alistair tells me you're a writer, uh, Mr. Borges. He said, first of all, no mister, just call me Borges. Second of all, Alistair's always exaggerating. I said, well, so you mean you're not a writer? He said, no, I'm a writer. I'm a writer, but I write these little tiny stories, some of them only a few sentences. And I grew very dismissive. I thought, I said, well, how many novels have you written? Because Alistair said, you wrote fiction. He said, oh, I've never written a novel. I said, did you never want to write a novel? He said, my dear boy, Jay, my whole life, I dreamed I would write the great, truly great novel of the Argentine Pampas. And there would be gauchos and prostitutes, and there would be patricide and matricide and fratricide, and generations would rise and fall. There would be war and peace. I said, so, Borges, what happened? Did you not write this? He said, Jay, three, four decades passed, and then one day I went to my desk, and I wrote a 200-word review of this novel, and that satisfied the impulse. It's so. interesting, Jay, that uh, Borges, of course, was obsessed with Don Quixote. Uh, you uh, are a novelist. You, you've written books about novels. You wrote a book about uh, Tolstoy. Do you think uh, after Borges it's possible to write a novel, given that, as he said to you, he condensed most novels into a few paragraphs and that, that the challenge of writing a novel post-Borges is actually quite immense. It's actually immense. Actually finding enough to say in 60 or 70,000 words. It's very exhausting. And I think Borges trans changed my whole view of writing when he said to me, remember that anything that passes through memory is fiction. And so he said, we can't help, we're writing fiction even when we tell what happened in the morning of the same day. We're fictionalizing, we're shaping, he said, remember, the word fiction comes from the Latin, fingere, to shape. And um, so what you're doing is you're taking chunks of reality and you're extracting bits and adding bits. You're, you're molding. And he said, this is all we're doing. And he said, you know, an essay is a work of fiction. Uh, and he said, in my work, uh, uh, a short story becomes an essay and an essay becomes a short story. Uh, real people and imagined people are often the same person. So um, I learned, a I mean, he got me, he set me to thinking in ways that's in many ways gave me my, my whole opened up windows and doors for me. We are talking a uh, wonderful conversation with uh, uh, Jay Perini, the author of many books, including uh, I think his latest book, Borges and Me, An Encounter, his story of a car trip he took with the great Argentine writer through Scotland. Uh, we're going to take a, a brief break, Jay, uh, right. and then we're going to come back and I want to talk more, in more detail about Borges's idea of memory, and specifically we can talk about one or two of his stories. So uh, stay with us. We'll be back in about 90 seconds. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching 
or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keenon. We are back with Jay Perini, the author of Borges and Me, An Encounter. We were talking before the break, Jay, about Borges's idea of memory. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had the uh, Canadian writer Kamal Al-Salali on the show, interesting uh, writer. He has a book about memory and why we're obsessed with return. Did When Borges was driving around um, Scotland, did he imagine it as a kind of return, even if he'd never really been there before? Was he returning to the Middle Ages, uh, a time perhaps that suited his spirit better than modernity? I think so. Borges was a true Scot in his soul. His grandmother was, uh, his maternal grandmother was British. And uh, he identified with the Scottish writers and the Scottish traditions. Um, he, he seemed to know Sir Walter Scott and, and, and uh, Robert Louis Stevenson and all the great Scottish poets. And he was tremendously interested in Anglo-Saxon sagas and, and Orkney sagas, all that kind of thing. Yeah, Beowulf um, shows up in the book, doesn't it? Yeah, Beowulf was something that mattered a great deal to Borges. He had long stretches of it by heart, and he was interested in, in, the, in the use of English and in Old English as well. He knew Anglo-Saxon, and he was interested in Anglo-Saxon riddles. So, so Borges was, in many ways, a, an eternal spirit. Um, he was more European, I think, than South American in some ways. Uh, really educated in Spain for the most part, and uh, his spirit was European in my view, and he was extremely cosmopolitan. He was interested in Israel and Jewish subjects. Um, he was interested in, he, I, I mentioned in the book that we, he told me that uh, we talked a great deal about the difference between fact and fiction, and he said to me, um, well, you know, I was just in Israel, and when you walk into an Israeli bookstore, they don't make a distinction between narrative that's fictional and narrative that's non-fictional because that's a bogus distinction. And he said, you know, the word in Hebrew is siporet, 
And uh, it just means narrative. And he said, what I write are little narratives, which sometimes draw on things that happen and sometimes draw on things that I imagine. Did you learn in, in your trip or in the writing of the book where Borges came from in, in, a, in a literary philosophical sense? I've always imagined him influenced by um, some 19th century French writers and particularly by Nietzsche. What's your sense of, of how Borges became Borges? I think Borges became Borges by reading really broadly in Spanish, but English and Scottish and uh, European literatures. And he certainly knew the German writers very well. He, um, he, his sense of the philosophical tradition was fairly profound. And um, I was amazing, amazed by how much he knew about a German philosophy. So, it, and I think Nietzsche played a big role in his imagination, Zarathustra. Um, and I think, you know, the, the distinction between the Dionysian and the Apollonian was something very dear to his heart. Um, but the main thing is Borges was a librarian. Um, he was quite literally a, a blind librarian of all things. <laughs> well, again, the contradictions with Borges never end. Imagine being a blind librarian. And uh, he was obsessed with encyclopedias. He said to me, uh, the greatest encyclopedia ever was Encyclopedia Britannica 1911 um, edition. And he and, and he was he so loved encyclopedias and learning from them. And so his mind was a bit of a universal library. And um, and because he was blind, he early on took to memorizing things. And he had such many, whenever I would bring up an author, he would begin quoting that author, whether a poet or even a prose writer uh, from memory. He had vast stretches of novels and poems by heart, but especially poems in many languages. So he, he quoted poems in Spanish and French and yeah. German. And of, and course, of course, he was a great Shakespeare scholar too. You, uh, there's a, a, a King Lear incident in the book. He must have <laughs> probably uh, memorized most of Shakespeare. Yes, I think at a drop of a hat, he could um, summon Shakespeare. You know, I mean, in the book, I talk about visiting Scone Palace where Macbeth was crowned and he was very excited. And we walked in a misty day out in the back where there was a, a, a labyrinth of uh, hedgerows and we got a bit lost in there. And when we came out of the mist, um, we were approached by a couple of women speaking very strangely. And Borges said, ah, it's the weird sisters. It's the weird sisters. And so, you know. Always uh, looking, always looking for fiction. It's interesting. One of the astonishing things about Borges, Jay, is how little happened in his life. He lived with his mother. As you say, he was a blind librarian. He traveled to some extent, but not much happened to him. If you contrast him, for example, with Dostoevsky, I did a show recently with the biographer Kevin Birmingham who's written a wonderful book about how Dostoevsky came to write Crime and Punishment. Dostoevsky's life was remarkable in, in, in terms of its ups and downs, its dramas, its mock ex executions and bankruptcies and love affairs. Not really much happened in Borges's actual life. I guess it all happened in his head. Yeah, he said to me, almost nothing has happened to me that isn't on the page. And so this is where he lived reality. He was always blind, fragile, weak. Um, he had virtually no sexual experience in his life. He lived in a kind of, a, a, like a monk really, in, in his cell. And he lived in these texts that he so loved and read and knew so well. It's interesting. We had the editor of the New York Times book review on recently who wrote a book, who's just written a book about a hundred things we've lost to the internet. And one of the things 
she suggests we've lost to the internet or because of the internet are bookish young men. And Borges, of course, was the ultimate bookish young man. And yet, a lot of people think that Borges kind of invented the internet. I've written some stuff about this. Uh, there's an interesting piece from 2008 by Noam Cohen in the New York Times suggesting that Borges imagined the hyperlinked web before it existed, uh, that everything was connected. Uh, what was your sense, Jay, on Borges's relationship with technology? And, and what do you think he would have thought of the internet? I think he would have uh, would have seen the internet as the natural extension of literature, which he defined as uh, a tissue of illusions. And so everything reminded him of something else. Everything had been written before, as in the story Pierre Menand, author of the Quixote. Um, I tell the story in in the book, which in my in my my book about Borges, of one day I remember so vividly as we were ending concluding one little car trip. Um, he, Borges said, Jay, uh, we have not focused on you. I've been talking only about myself. You tell me you write poetry. Please read me something of yours, Jay. And I said, okay. So I said, uh-oh. So I pulled, <laughs> anxiously, I pulled the car over to the side of the road, took out my little notebook, and I had a love poem I'd written to some young woman that I was keen to connect with. I said, well, this isn't much good, but it's what I've got, and I read this love poem that I'd written. He listened very carefully, and he said, ah, I won't say it's good, and I won't say it's bad. But he said, I will tell you this, Jay. I've written the same poem. And I said, well, you mean you've written a poem somewhat like it? He said, no, no, no. I've written the same poem, word for word, only in Spanish. I bet that failed you. I bet that made you feel good, right? <laughs> I said, so Borges, are you accusing me of plagiarism? He said, no, 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 you misunderstand how literature operates. He said, we're all plagiarizing. He said, every poem is a, is a, is a translation of some earlier poem, every poem. And he said, it goes back ad infinitum in the mise en abime of history. Do you think he was ever surprised by anything? Well, I don't think so, because I think because he had read so widely and he knew so much, I think I would be amazed to think anything could have surprised him. Um, uh, the only thing that could have surprised him was, was would be maybe reality, <laughs> if you bumped yeah. into a piece of it. But, um, Do you think uh, he was like God? Do you think uh, if God put someone down on Earth, it might have been him? You know, he, he could have come from another universe and he was here to, to teach us well, all. That, that comes out of one of his... Uh... One of his short stories. I mean, what if you mentioned Pierre Menard, um, uh, which is, of course, a wonderful, uh, wonderful short story. Uh, there's, of course, Borges and I, which you write about in the book. Um, uh, there's Funes, the Memorius, which, which is, kind of I captures him. Is there one story in particular, Jay, that somehow captures the guy? I think Funes, the Memorius, is perfect. It's about a man who falls off a horse and bangs his head. And most of us, if we bang our head, suffer from amnesia and we don't remember anything. But Funes has the opposite problem, which was Borges' problem. He remembered everything, every leaf on every tree, every street, every alleyway in Buenos Aires, everywhere. And so he could not forget anything. And he said, this was the problem. And he said, this is the problem uh, that he had as a writer. He remembered everything and so carving a way out um in that 
in that process was very, very difficult. Um, he remembered, he told me that he, in uh, 1938, he um, banged his head on a window pane in Buenos Aires and was taken to the hospital where they thought he might die. And he said when he, when he came to, he felt like he had perfect memory, eidetic memory. And he said there was no text, no. He said he could remember every crack in the, in the cereal bowls and the, in the vases back in his house in his apartment. He remembered every wrinkle and every curtain. Uh, there was no fork in the drawer that he couldn't identify. And he said it was driving him mad. And so that's the premise of uh, Fune's The Memorius. So, um, so that's certainly for, for viewers or listeners who haven't read any book, as you have to read them. I think it's inexcusable. Uh, Jay teaches literature at Middlebury. Jay, Whams, when you have a student who admits to not reading Borges, what do you do with them? Give them a good spanking? Yeah, I basically say, uh, oh, I use what Borges said to me when I told him I hadn't read A Thousand and One Nights. He said, oh, shame on you. This makes you into a literary virgin. And so I say to students, oh, my God, you haven't read Borges. You're a, a literary virgin until you read Borges. Can you get away with that at Middlebury these days, Neil? No, well, not Neil. <laughs> well, you've said it online. Um, Neil, in all seriousness, we had, uh, not Neil, uh, Jay, uh, in all seriousness, we had uh, the journalist and writer Joya Diliberto on the show yesterday who wrote a novel called Coco at the Ritz, which was about Coco Chanel's association with uh, Nazi Germany during the Second World War when she was living in Paris. Borges's politics have always been controversial. I remember reading a piece by Christopher Hitchens who visited Borges in Buenos Aires. Back in 70, of course, Argentina had a very nasty military dictatorship. Did you talk at all about politics? Did you get any sense he's always been famous or perhaps infamous for having no interest in politics? Was there any political discussion with him? Well, there was when I told him that the reason, he said, what's the reason for you being in Scotland? And I said, I'm avoiding the Vietnam War. He said, why would you avoid a war? He said, wouldn't one want to be brave? He said, you know, my grandfather was the hero of Junin, which was a great battle. And um, uh, he was the colonel. And uh, you don't want to become a colonel in the American army and charge the ranks and fight against communism. I said, Borges, that's so naive. I said, the U.S. has simply invaded Vietnam. And there, it, the, 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 the civil war between the communists and the, South, the North Vietnamese and the South Vietnamese has nothing to do with us. And I have no interest in dropping napalm on innocent villagers and burning villages. And he said, oh, such passion, such passion. He said, in my country, we must be very careful with political passion like this. He said, I understand why you're saying what you say, and I know nothing about the Vietnam War, but I would be very, very careful. He said, you come from a very great country, the United States, and uh, yes, all countries are both good and bad, and I would just be very, very careful when you make statements about wars. So Did that piss you off? I mean, it's... It pissed me off royally. I was I mean, really unhappy. I was I mean, unhappy. Given that he was from a really nasty military dictatorship, yeah, so I don't know, in 1970, me. whether they were, uh, whether there were the disappeared, but certainly it was on the horizon. Thousands, oh, no. tens of thousands of people in prison, many of them murdered by, a, by, a, by the right-wing junta, the military dictatorship. Did his you think mother, that affected his conscience in any way? Well, his own mother, he told me, had been put in prison, and his uncle and his cousin by the Peronista government. So uh, 
he said, I know what horrible things dictatorships can do. And uh, so he did, he did, we did talk about that a little bit, but I think he was trying, I think he was avowedly anti-political and apolitical and kind of was trying to be more universal than he didn't, it's possible even to be, you know? He wanted to be floating to some degree above politics. And uh, of course, I think that's very difficult to do and probably dangerous. Jay, you were, as you say, and this is part of the narrative in the book, you were escaping uh, the Vietnam War. That's where you mm -hmm. ended up at St. Andrews. Recently, I had um, U.S. Congressman Ruben Gallego on the show. He's written a very moving book about his involvement in the Iraq War, which is a very different war from Vietnam. Um, do you think that Vietnam shaped your generation in a way that Iraq could never shape the generation, perhaps, of Jordan Salama because there was no subs, uh, u u universal conscription? Look, I had so many friends from high school who were, who, who were taken away to the war. I corresponded with one of them. And he was killed in the war. So I had personal friends who were killed in Vietnam. I was myself in sheer terror of Vietnam. And, and I was furious because I felt that any American who had would give it any thought would understand that the Vietnam War was a, a travesty. It was a, it was a stupid war of choice. And only in that sense is the Iraq War similar. It was a very stupid war of choice. It was a, the the Iraq War was you know as as many people have said not not me but I I would just repeat that it was one of the worst foreign policy decisions ever. I yeah, mean, we uh, we've had a number of foreign policy experts on the show who argue it is the worst decision by uh, Bush younger to go into Iraq. So you're not alone there. Yeah, I would I consider Bush the younger a war criminal. Uh, anyone who who makes a choice that displaces a million people, that kills over 100,000 civilians. Um, by and it doesn't make it any better that, we, that it's, it's sanctioned by the U.S. government. If we drop bombs on people and we kill them, I think the culpability extends throughout the taxpaying public. So I feel great anger and fury over the Iraq War. Um, and it's the same fury connected to the Vietnam War. And I think that uh, uh, war should always be the last resort and it should be uh, entered into as one enters into a funeral. It's so interesting that the Iraq war, the only people really writing about the Iraq war are people like Ruben Calego, who had the misfortune of being involved in it in contrast to Vietnam, which inf uh, affected the, uh, an entire generation. And then one of the things we got out of Vietnam is Borges and Me, but an encounter by Jay Perini, who went to St. Andrews to escape conscription. We have this wonderful new book. It's actually not that new. How old is it, Jay? It's about a year old. It's about, it's about a, year a year old. old. I think it's just come out in paperback. It's a must read for anyone who loves Jay Perini, as many of us do, and uh, anyone who has any interest in Borges, it's essential reading. Um, Jay, what are you working on now? Well, I'm in the middle of a novel about the life of Graham Greene. Wow. Um, I met Graham Greene in Italy, and I once spent a week with him in the south of France at his house. And he told me an extraordinary story about his time as a spy for MI6. And, um, and so I'm taking the little snippets of bits and pieces he gave me in conversation and uh, turning it into a, a novel, a Graham Greene-like novel, which is a kind of an Ur novel, looking at the origins of Greene's imagination. And, uh, and, and so it's, that's what I'm working on right now. 
Well, you'll have to come back on the show, Jay, to talk about that. Uh, very briefly at the end, just as, uh, just as I asked uh, Jordan Salama uh, reading recommendations, one short story by uh, Borges and one novel by Green, perhaps that you might suggest for our readers. Okay, for stories of Borges, I mentioned Funes, the memorials, but certainly I think my favorite story really is Pierre Maynard, author of The Quixote. That is just a superb, uh, divine reading experience. And a novel by Graham Greene, The Heart of the Matter, is my favorite. That's set Wonderful. in Florida, and it's a, just a beautiful piece of writing. Well, Jay Perini, speaking of beautiful pieces of writing, Borges and Me is, is classic Perini, beautiful piece about the young Perini who had the incredible fortune of doing a road trip in Scotland. I hope they're making it into a movie, Jay. You said uh, yeah, some of them have been yes, made the, into movies. The movie like is a great, uh, uh, a great road movie. You... Yes. Young, a young Perini and an old Borges traveling around Scotland in an old car. Jay Perini, you're a treasure. Thank you so much. And I'd love to have you back on the show in the not-too-distant future. Keep well, keep writing, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Andrew. Anytime. Thanks so much for watching this Keenon show. I hope you were inspired in some way. I hope you found it interesting. And if you want more of these kinds of shows, you need to subscribe uh, to the podcast uh, on the Apple or, or, or CastBox or Spotify platforms. All major podcast platforms carry the Keenon show. Or you can also watch live uh, on my Twitter page, uh, my LinkedIn network, uh, or on LitHub's uh, Facebook Live page. Um, I also hope you'll decide to follow me on Substack. Uh, I have a, a newsletter on Substack in which I develop and expand on a lot of the themes we discuss in the uh, Keenon show. And I hope you'll also follow up with me personally, uh, perhaps uh, to give suggestions for future shows. You might email me at a.keen at me.com. Or you may also email me with suggestions about potential guests. I'm very open, uh, very eager, in fact, to have requests, ideas of, of people with interesting new books and projects which I need to talk about. So thanks so much again for, for, for watching Keenon. I'm thrilled that you're a member of our community, and I'll look forward to hearing from you in the not-too-distant future.